Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Broadbent. Joining me this time is uh, my co-host, Craig Epstein. Craig is rejoining the show. We'll talk some Rutgers uh, Temple recap and some other news items. Uh, after kind of sleeping on this win, and I, I rewatched uh, the, you know, the, the, the hour-long replay of it, uh, I, I feel really good about this team. I feel better than I thought I would. You know, Obviously, we were talking off the pod. I predicted 5-7 and seven for this team. I'm starting to feel a little bit more confident that they might be more like a 6-6 six and six team. Uh, but just kind of, what are your first thoughts after kind of serenade or not serenading? Jeez, after, like, <laughs> I can serenade you, Mike, if you want. Yeah, I mean, you can if you'd like. it's kind of early uh, in the morning after, for that. But after, I mean. <laughs> after, after, after marinating on this win, for a bit, <laughs> what's your what's your thoughts on uh, how the game went and how you feel about this team? Uh, the game, I mean, it was good. I would say, I'd say, I would say, tale of two halves, but it wasn't even really that. To be honest, it was almost like a tale of like three quarters versus one quarter because for the first three quarters. You know, Rutgers is, there are defense. I mean, the defense is well for the entire game. So credit to them. But the offense was kind of, you know, it showed more shades of probably last season where it just wasn't really putting together like great drives and nothing was really going on. It actually kind of resembled a little bit, I think, of the Nebraska game. Yeah. Where it was like 13 nothing. The defense was taking control, but like the offense wasn't really doing much. And it's like it, if the off, if last year, if the offense just won more, you know, they lost 14 13. So you just get one field goal and you win the game. So, so many times as I'm watching the, this game, I'm thinking to myself, oh, Rutgers can just find a way to get one more score. Like this game is probably over because Temple's offense probably isn't going to put together, you know, three, you know, consecutive scoring drives against them. And, uh, the fourth quarter came and then as well, right after the score and then fourth quarter came and the drive happened with Manungai with, I mean, six straight carries for 57 yards. I mean, he just looked like a man amongst boys out there. They just couldn't take him down. And from that moment on, I mean, Rutgers completely took control of the game, scored 23 unanswered points and it was over. I mean, it, they turned, they really turned what, what looked like, like an upset, a game on upset alert. They turned it into, into a blowout. Yeah, and that's kind of how I envisioned that game going, where we ran the ball a lot in the second half, but not necessarily the way it ended up happening. So I do agree that it had shades in Nebraska, where you're just kind of like, yeah, I had a really good start, and then you're just kind of like, mm. why, why aren't we scoring more? Why, what's going on here? This should be more of a, a game that we are, you know, cruising to. Obviously, we had that that early fumble, which takes points off the board, mm-hmm. but we scored. Outside of that fumble play, we scored on every drive that wasn't like uh, we had that hail mary at the end of the, the half. So it's hard to kind of say that we should have scored on a drive that we got the ball with a minute twenty left and we're up thirteen nothing. Um, we scored on every drive other than the one we turned the ball over in, in the first half. In the second half, we start off punt, 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 <laughs> and you think, what, what's what is this offense? The entire third quarter, nobody scores. Snooze fest. It felt <laughs> a lot like. You know, the Sean Gleason offense in terms of just like hyper conservative, not really a whole lot of, you know, played. They didn't really seem to kind of approach each drive differently, or it was just kind of like run up the middle, run up the middle, pass on third down. Then after Temple scored, 
they reinvigorated. They were just, all right, we're going to have to be aggressive now because this is a game again. And right away they stepped on their throats and that was kind of it. They just needed something, I guess, to kind of light a fire underneath them because after Temple scored, we, you know, just marched down the field and scored a touchdown. Then they throw an interception and then we score again. And then we have a quick three and out and we score again. And then they throw another interception. So this is, they responded. I'll give them full credit for that. But I do think if we have these kind of lapses in uh, offensive production and, you know, I guess some of our better opponents, because we also have to contextualize Temple's awful. Northwestern is not, they, they were a home underdog this weekend to UTEP. Obviously <laughs> they put a spanking yeah. on UTEP, but I think we have to contextualize. We've probably played two of our three worst opponents in the first two weeks of the season, which is kind of how you want your schedule to be set up. Um, but they, they responded. So I'll give them full credit for that. Uh, you can really only play the opponents that are put in front of you, but uh, they're, the, the, the lull in the third quarter is probably the most concerning thing that comes out of this game for me. Yeah, it's interesting because this like through the first two games, like you want you want answers. You got some answers, but this team is still kind of hard to kind of gauge because, like you said, they've played two of the worst teams that they're well, other than Wagner, but pr- two of the worst teams that they're probably going to face all year. And you know, they, I give them credit; they did pass. They passed the test. I mean, they they've won by a by a combined score of what? Tw- what was the first game? Twenty four, and this was like. So this, they won. They, they won. Scored opponents uh, sixty to fourteen this season. Yeah, exactly. So it's like you know they definitely they definitely passed that test. But um, now things get harder. And next week, I think is their first good litmus test where Virginia Tech is. I'd say a, I, maybe good might be too short. But they're decent. I mean, they lost to Purdue, which I don't think Purdue's that great either. But you know, they're not a pushover. They're definitely a team that's going to come out and they're going to give Rutgers a game. And it's really just about whether or not is Rutgers going to come out with the win. If Rutgers comes out with the win, then like you said, there's a reason to be optimistic for this season now with the way things are progressing. They're, I mean, you beat you beat Virginia Tech, you got four wins. You're going to beat Wagner. I mean, that's sorry. You beat Virginia Tech, you get three wins. You're going to beat Wagner, that's four. And then you have, can you find a way to scratch across those two more wins? And as we see, as we see now with the, what's going on in the Big Ten, everything changes so quickly. So is Michigan State now a win? Is Indiana, could that be a win? I mean, it's just Maryland at the end of the year. Who knows what that game is going to look like when we get there. So it's just, you know, it's it, you don't want to look too far into the future, but uh, it's always fun to. <laughs> yeah, no, I think there is probably at least one more win on the schedule. Uh, I definitely want to get to that. I just kind of want to round off the, the game kind of discussion first. I know I, I get in my head of myself here too. There you go. We talked Kyle Manungai. I thought he was incredible. He, he might be my favorite player on the team. Just from like, he does all the dirty work so well, like from pass blocking, we obviously all saw that like, you know, like football grind tape grinder uh, highlight from last week where he just like totally leveled the, the Northwestern uh, linebacker on a blitz. Um, I just, he runs so hard. He's also just able to miss, make the first defender miss so consistently. Like, he had that one catch against uh, Northwestern where he got he caught the ball in the flat and it looked like he was dead to rights. He makes the, the linebacker miss and he runs it upfield for another like 20 yards. <clears throat> this game, he was doing that, like you said, consistently, just churning the ball. He had, what was it, five carries for 56 yards on that one drive. It was six. He's yeah. just a dog. Yeah, he's just like the the emotional leader of this team from what it seems like watching. Just, just a total dog. And it's, you know... We have a very, very good running back room. Mm-hmm. If Sam Brown mm-hmm. comes back healthy and Aaron Young comes back healthy. 
we have like four or five legit running backs in that backfield. And it'll be interesting to see if we line up in, you know, some more unique formations with two running backs, maybe one lined up in the slot. I know we lined up Al Shadi Salam last year in the slot at, at times. Um, but I do think Kirk will take advantage of all our running back talent in unique ways because they, they both had Jashawn Benjamin and Sam Brown both had really nice catches out of the backfield. I thought those were two of Gavin's best throws too. Cause he hit those guys yeah. full speed in stride and just let them rip up the sideline. Um, another one of Gavin's best throws is that deep ball to Jaquay Jackson. Mm -hmm. We had been talking about Jaquay Jackson all off season as a guy who we thought would be the wide receiver one that just had like, you know, NFL scouts kind of attending D2 practices and D2 like games to, to just evaluate him. This isn't a, this isn't like a legit NFL talent week one. He gets his bell rung in the first quarter and he doesn't really play a whole lot after that. Uh, this game was definitely his breakout. He was running wide open all day. Uh, Gavin could have hit him two or three more times. He, on the, the other deep ball, he missed him. And that was kind of the, the story of the day. I thought, Gavin didn't have quite as good of a game two as he did game one. He did miss more receivers. He had a little bit more pressure on him in, in the pocket. Um, and it kind of rattled him. Um, obviously, we won the game, but there are some some things you'd like to see cleaned up from this game uh, from Gavin's point of view. Uh, he, he was 10 for 21 on the day. He's at 54% completion percentage on the year, which is the lowest in the Big Ten for any of their starting quarterbacks. I, you know... He's made a lot of progress this year, but I still think there's a long way to go for him personally. Yeah, I mean, Gavin, it's it's so there's there's aspects to him that just look you watch him and it looks night and day compared to last yeah. year. Where you can see, I mean, I think that like you said, I think that throw to Sam Brown was his best throw of the day. Just stood there, complete poise, knew he was going to take a hit, but still delivered a perfect pass to Brown that led to the touchdown. And when you look at that, you're like, wow. And he's just like, obviously, I mean, he's got such an arm, man. That, that even though that hail mary throw didn't, you know, wasn't a, didn't end up amounting anything. I was like, on the run, that guy just blasted. The guy's got such an arm, and you know, you can see just the decision making is so just, just looks so much better so far. Like yeah. he just know he just knows when to uh, when to just let a play die, and he so credit to him. He's definitely worked on that. His accuracy seems to have gotten. Well, there's times where, like I said, like there's a lot of times where it seems like he puts too much touch on the ball, and that's kind of the stuff that that kind of makes you rip your hair out, and that's kind of stuff that could end up costing you later on down the line because you, you see it sometimes, and it ends up costing him possible first downs. So that's kind of the aspect that he still continues to work on, and if he can get that down, then he can be even more of a polished quarterback. But uh, right now, it really just seems like I mean, we all I mean, we said it all off season long, and it's no secret, Rutgers is going to be a run first team. Like that's going to be their bread and butter. Like you said, luckily, luckily enough, they have probably they're going to end up having four guys that they can deploy out. There are a lot of toys that Kirk can work with. And it's all about, you know, really getting it to third and third and short. Just as long as Gavin keeps moving the sticks, the, like it's going to be, it, it's fine. But like I said, it, when, once you get into those third and longs, that's where you're going to run into problems. But the off the so far the offense uh, has been has been doing doing okay considering they scored you know sixty points in two games but now we'll see what happens when they face Virginia Tech more of a uh, step up in competition. Yeah, they're definitely a step up. They did have an unfortunate injury. Uh, fortunate for Rutgers, unfortunate for them. They got one of their uh, 
one of their best players was a transfer portal guy named Ali Jennings, who they got from Old Dominion this offseason. He unfortunately broke his ankle in the last game, and he's going to be out for the rest of the year. Um, but Virginia Tech fans do not seem very high on this team. Like, if you just, there's been some people posting it on the boards. They are basically of the mindset that, you know, this is, you know, they picked the wrong quarterback, first of all. They, they picked a guy named Grant Wells. Uh, as their starter, he is on the year 33 for 62, which is a 53% completion percentage for 494 yards, five touchdowns, two interceptions. He's taken three sacks. Um, doesn't seem like they're very high on the guy. I, I don't know a whole lot about him. I'm hoping to discuss that more when we have a Virginia Tech writer on this week. But this guy, Ali Jennings, last year at Old Dominion, uh, so the last two years at Old Dominion, he started off at West Virginia. Uh, last year, he, he had 54 catches for 500 or for 959 yards and nine touchdowns. The year before that, he had 62 catches for 1,066 yards and five touchdowns. He's a senior leader on this team. He is done for the year. He had five catches for 72 yards and two touchdowns in a game and a half for Virginia Tech this year. And like you said, they lost to Purdue, who Purdue had an ugly week one loss. I, I don't remember who it was to. I'll look that up now. Um, but Purdue didn't really look really that great either. They lost at home to uh, Fresno State in the first game of the season. Mm. I guess we'll kind of just – this will be, the, like you said, the litmus test for, for Rutgers because they did play two pretty awful teams week one and two. This is a, a mediocre team, Virginia Tech. Um, I'd say that it's a good measuring stick game because Brent Prize in his second year um, – He's, like I said, he's taken a lot of transfers, so this will be a good measuring stick game. I like I said, I don't know a whole lot about Virginia Tech at the moment. I will be doing more research on them throughout the week. Do you, have you been able to catch any of their games this year? No, nah, not really. I just I kind of followed along with you know the Purdue game where it was Purdue went up seventeen nothing, and then they had what a five and a half hour weather delay, and I was like, and then they oh, kind of yeah, came yeah. and then they kind of made a comeback. I was like. I was, like, I was like, yeah, because they can just go back into the locker room with that amount of time. You just could formulate a whole new game plan. So it's just like, I don't know. That whole thing seems kind of seemed kind of weird. So they made, I guess they made a slight of slightly comeback, but they ended up losing in the end. And like I said, I don't, I haven't watched much Purdue football at this year, but I don't, I don't think they're a, a special team by any means. So that, uh, the fact that Virginia tech lost them tells me that maybe that, that I think that, it's a winnable game for Rutgers and looking at the, uh, you look at the, uh, look at the, the line right now. It's, uh, I believe before the, before the temple game, I want to say Rutgers, if the, was there, I forget if there was a line or not, but right now Rutgers is a, I think a four and a half point, uh, favorite. And yeah, I we even opened at three or three and a half, depending on what book you were looking at and has risen a bit. Mm-hmm. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if this rose up to around seven. <clears throat> so if you want to get in on this, I, I know as a New Jersey resident, most of them cannot do that, but if you happen to find yourself in Pennsylvania or New York, uh, bet on this game early in the week because that line will continue to rise. In my Here's the real question, though, Mike. Are you going to bet on it? Because these people have to follow the Mike Broadbent system because this man has been killing it recently. Yeah, I, I was all over uh, Colorado. At, I believe Colorado was a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I thought that line was one of the worst lines I've seen in a long time, so... <laughs> I bet that up because they don't believe uh, in Dion. That's why. I mean, I just more so did not believe in Nebraska. Like, if you watched mm. them week one, how did you think that they were going to come in and compete with Colorado? Like, all amped up. This Dion's first game at home. Like, 
if you had been listening to anything going on this week, people talking about what, what it was like in Boulder, they said it was like you could not – like the the amount of buzz that this team has was equivalent to the buzz they were getting in the early 90s when they were winning like national championships and Big 12 – or Big Big 8 championships at that. I don't remember what it was. Mm-hmm. Big 12 or Big 8, whatever the conference was named at the time. No, it's said insane. That What's going on not, right there? It's insane. They said that there wasn't any tickets available for this game. They said that – you know, aftermarket pricing was through the roof. There was so much buzz about this game that even if they totally shit the bed, they weren't going to lose Nebraska at home. And so I bet that game up to minus six and a half, minus nine and a half, and <laughs> sure enough, it hit. Uh, I also, you know, as you heard and you saw my prediction, I had Rutgers winning pretty easily, uh, easily covering. I, I bet I bet Rutgers at nine and a half when it, when it opened last weekend. I bet it when it was at seven and a half. So good weekend for me. Uh, Good week in the NFL too, but we were told in the live broadcast that they don't really want to hear about uh, <laughs> NFL stuff. So we'll stick to college stuff. I will be betting on Rutgers to cover the four and a half point spread. Uh, I yeah, I haven't made the bet yet because I kind of want to see if I can get some more uh, draft. Is it, Mike? You can tease it. You know. Well, FanDuel's been doing some really great <laughs> promos early in the season, so mm-hmm. I want to see if I can get a promo uh, parlay bet before I actually lock in anything. Um, but yeah, I will be making that bet this week. Beautiful. There you go. So there you go, people. The Mike Broadbent stamp of approval. <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of around the Big Ten, I, I, I kind of opened saying that I think this might be more like a six and six team now. After thinking two weeks ago, when I made my prediction that it would be five and seven, late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, <clears throat> news broke about a Title IX investigation at uh, Michigan State. Mel Tucker was apparently accused of uh, some pretty gross things. Um, There's a woman who does sexual assault consulting. She's a survivor of sexual assault. And she, I'm sure you guys have seen her. She goes around to programs and talks to them about, you know, how to better protect women um, who are around your program and how basically just not to be a total piece of shit. Um, And, Mel Tucker's claiming they had a consensual relationship. Uh, she is claiming they do not. And uh, there's some allegations of him doing some things over the phone he shouldn't have been doing um, as a married man. And I can't imagine him surviving this, especially mm-hmm. with how much turmoil Michigan State's been under for uh, sex crime stuff with Larry Nasser and whatnot. Um, yeah, so that kind of turmoil, I think, made Michigan State for me like a 50-50 game to a game Rutgers will be favored in. Because, um, they, I mean, if you look at who they've lost, like Peyton Thorne's doing pretty well down at Auburn. He was their starting quarterback last year. Keon Coleman, <clears throat> the wide receiver, has been a total stud. I, it's, I think he's on uh, Florida State now. Uh, Florida State or, or uh, LSU. I know he played in that opening game, so I'm not sure which team specifically he's on, but I'm pretty sure it's Florida State. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've lost a lot of talent. And losing their coach too, even though some people will say he's not a great coach, it doesn't matter. You're still uproot. You're like totally, you know, turning the program over mid-season. That's. Not I'm not gonna lie. I kind of. That's yeah. That's that's true. But there was. The, I'll be honest. There was a part of me who saw Mel Tucker's probably no, most likely probably gonna get fired, and I was like, uh, I don't know. But Mel Tucker kind of stinks. So I was like, are they gonna somehow get better? Without Mel Tucker, like now it's what I forget the assistant guy is going to be the uh, yeah, the uh, secondary coach. coach. 
And now, but then now, now D'Antonio somehow found his way back into uh, yeah. so now I'm like, oh, well, okay. Yeah, for those who haven't seen it, Mark D'Antonio has been brought in as some kind of special assistant. They haven't announced his former role, <clears throat> formal role on the uh, with the football program, but he's rejoining in some capacity for the rest of the season. Could you imagine if he gets the job back? I mean, I was saying this, like, could he pull a Bill Snyder? And just like, <laughs> you know, I'm getting too old for this shit, and then he ends up staying for another five years. I can see it. Like, Martin Antonio, mm-hmm. he retired pretty young in relative terms. Huggins, Huggins would be so jealous. Oh, yeah. So he, <laughs> he retired in 2019. So he was 63 when he retired. Mm-hmm. And he kind of left them in a lurch, too, because if you remember, he, he retired in, like, February. Mm-hmm. This is after signing day. Um. He would, you know, I, I don't know the full reasoning for him retiring, but no, I mean, I yeah. remember in our group chat, Alex, Alec brought up a good point that he retired late in the cycle that caused the kind of Michigan state to scramble a bit. They hired, they hired Mel Tucker from Colorado, Colorado ends up high. I forget the guy's name who they basically go one and 11. They're a disaster. And that's what leads to them hiring Dion. So I guess Mark yeah. Antonio basically shaped the landscape of college football. Yeah, he did in a lot of ways. <laughs> and he's, he might be doing it again. Um, some, the, the Big Ten in general hasn't been very impressive to start the, the calendar year. Uh, you saw Wisconsin lose at, at Washington State um, this past weekend. It's their second year in a row they've lost to Washington State. Wisconsin has struggled a bit in this new offense, and, and you would expect that because – they brought in so many transfers. You know, you're going from a power running game to a, an air raid offense. It kind of comes with the territory that there's going to be some growing pains. I thought Michigan's looked really good. J.J. McCarthy is just, you know, elevating his game. He's got – on the season, he's completing 87% of his passes, and he's throwing 55 attempts. No, yeah, the Big Ten, I mean, it's definitely – it's top-heavy, where you look at the Michigans, the Ohio States, the Penn States – the teams that are always there, they're going to be, they're awesome. They're, they're going to be in the running for the college football playoff. But then you look at kind of those, the middle pack to the lower, lower teams. And it's kind of gives me big 10 basketball vibes where it's like, they have awesome defenses, but their offenses are kind of, you know, not nothing to write home about. So if you score like basically 24 plus points, you're probably going to win. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think Ohio state's kind of look like they've, step down a level as a program. Like I didn't think they looked good against Indiana. I didn't think they looked good against Youngtown, Youngstown state for the first half. Cause I mean, if you look at early in that game, it, they just, they didn't really look like themselves. They had a couple big plays, but it was 14, seven after the first quarter. And if you look at the, the scoreboard, there was 20, 28, seven at halftime, but they didn't score. They scored one touchdown the rest of the game. Like, mm-hmm. I think Kyle McCord is still kind of getting his feet underneath him. Um, the point is when they kept they, when, when they tr- transitioned from urban to, to Ryan day, it was a seamless transition because you had Justin Fields there, mm-hmm. Justin Fields, they transitioned to CJ Stroud, seamless transition. I don't see that same seamless transition from Stroud to, to McCord. I, I don't think he's nearly the level that uh, CJ Stroud was. Um, and it's kind of shown early in the season. I think the class of the Big Ten, honestly, is Michigan, Michigan, and, and Penn State. I thought I think Penn State's been 
a team that's really impressed me as much as that pains me to admit. <laughs> and Michigan, I think everybody who is watching Michigan this year should have expected this because they brought back a pretty huge amount of their team from last year. They have a lot of senior leadership, uh, a lot of guys who could have been high draft picks in the NFL draft decided to stick around. Um, so I think those two teams are the class of the Big Ten. And I'll tell you, Rutgers has played Michigan close essentially since Greg showed up. You know, if you think of the, the COVID year, we go triple overtime. 2021, that was the game at the Big House where we were in it to the end of a couple, uh, couple missed field goals by Rutgers late, kind of did us in. We lost 20 to 13. Last year, we're winning at halftime until, mm. you know, the, <laughs> the floodgates opened. <laughs> I'm not saying Rutgers is going to beat Michigan. I'm not saying it's going to even be close, but they played close and Rutgers is clearly much improved. Michigan's arguably, you know, one of the top two or three teams in the country, but I wouldn't count Rutgers out completely there. If the spread is really out of whack, like if Rutgers is a 20 plus point underdog, I will be betting on Rutgers in that game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I got to see how they play Virginia Tech first. If they can, you know, if they do to Virginia Tech, what they've done really the last, the first two games, then I'll be like, okay, there, there's, there's, they're probably, like I said, I don't think, even if they beat Virginia, even if they blow Virginia Tech out, I don't think they're going to beat Michigan. But um, if they take care of business against Virginia Tech, then I can look at that game and be like, well, maybe, maybe it's worth keeping an eye on just because you never know. It could be, you know, maybe a competitive game and maybe college game day will come down to, oh no, the game's at Michigan, isn't it? Yeah, the game's in Michigan. Damn, damn. Well, at, at this point, like, college game day, it's an awesome experience. I would love for it to be at Rutgers, but I think there's so many other outlets that do a similar thing now that mm-hmm. it's, you know, you get just as much buzz if uh, big noon Saturday is at your campus or if Barstool's, uh, mm. I don't know if they've done it yet, but their their campus tour thing that they were at last year for Rutgers, Nebraska, I think it was. Um, mm. I think that could be just as big. Um, Mike, I got an idea. TKR game day. We've kind of talked about having <laughs> uh, some kind of live get together for a tailgate, but I think it's, I think everyone's just got their tailgate situations. So mm. It'd be tough to actually get people. I think it's, it makes more sense just kind of like roam around and schmooze. <laughs> um, but I'm now realizing we haven't really talked at all about how the defense played against Temple. So I want to kind of circle back around to that mm-hmm. because another total standout performance by the defense. Uh, even though there, <clears throat> the sack numbers weren't there, we were, I don't think you could have realistically expected a ton of sacks from uh, our point of view, just because how quick EJ Warner gets the ball out. And I knew Craig has repeated that a bunch this week and last week at this point, he's got like one of the fastest uh, throw times in college football. And so he was getting the ball out really quickly. It just wasn't really resulting in positive plays. Um, I thought he got lucky on a lot of his completions where he would not lucky. He obviously knows what he's doing, but you know, it was just like he would hold the ball as long as he possibly could, then like waft it out to the sideline and he'd have that guy Dante Dante right right right. or one of their tight ends. He just completed a lot of passes that were like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Um, but yeah, Rutgers forced uh, three turnovers on the day. Uh, and two of them were right after the, uh, Right after the, the scoring drive, it, they just they think it was like it was I forget I think it was like turnover punt turnover mm-hmm. turnover then like turnover on downs and that was pretty much it something in that something like that 
defense completely woke up after that. And yeah, they've been, I mean, it's almost like, yeah, it's, we, it's almost become a point where it's like you expect it. I mean, the defense yeah. we said all off seasons would been awesome. And so far through the first two games, it's been awesome. And, uh, I actually think right now, I mean, we've talked so much about guys like Aaron Lewis, who we think, both of us think, and I'm sure Richie and everybody thinks the guy could, that guy could play at the next level. He's been, yeah. I mean, he's just constantly in the backfield. He might not get the sack, but he's constantly, you know, getting the uh, quarterback to uh, get off his platform. Wesley Bailey, he got kind of banged up in that first game, but he's been really good too. And I actually think so far through the first two games, the MVP of their defense has been Flip Dixon. The guy has been just everywhere, whether it's, Yep. rushing the passer defending it i mean let me know what you think but this he's kind of even though he's not as bulky as this guy but he's kind of giving me a little bit of uh kasim green vibes yeah i think who who, who do you say reminds you of kasim green so, uh, flip dixon yeah so flip dixon he's been arguably the I mean, it's hard to say he's been the best player on the defense because I think there's been like three or four guys who have really stood out for me. But he has been the best addition to the team, in my opinion, so far through two games. He's clearly just, you know, he was coached by Joe Harry Simiak. <clears throat> Joe Harry Simiak was the safeties coach at uh, Minnesota. I got to sneeze a little. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, he was the safeties coach at Minnesota. And once Flip Dixon entered the portal, it seemed like kind of, you know, he was inevitably coming here. Um, he's just been fantastic. He the, the whole third quarter was basically like, you know, flip quarter. Mm -hmm. Just made play after play. There was a play that I believe they tried to call pass interference on, but they picked up the flag. He just played all over the field. And I, I feel like you could have said that about a lot of guys <clears throat> on Sunday or Saturday that you were just all over the field. Tyreen Powell was just a guy who he's just like the, when they design up like what they want the modern NFL linebacker to look like and move like it's Tyreen Powell. Like he's just six, four, like 230 pounds has great lateral movement skills. He's got great straight line speed. He's a pretty good, he's pretty good in coverage. He's shown the ability to blitz. Uh, Motere has been fantastic since he came back. Yeah. I was a little concerned that coming off his knee injury, he wouldn't have that same explosiveness, but it's still very much there. Deion Jennings is a guy that we haven't given a ton of credit on the program over the years, but he had, you know, three pass deflections on Saturday. The one was just an incredible play, knocking the ball away from a tight end. And they do such a great job of teaching to kind of punch through the hands when they're at the catch point, because you don't necessarily always see guys doing it. Every DB is taught that, but it's different for somebody to be taught that and then to actually do it. And our guys all do it. And so it's really, you know, just awesome to see when they have a guy who's got the ball, two hands, two hands on the ball, should have an easy catch, and they just punch right through, and it becomes an incompletion. Um, Aaron Lewis, even though he hasn't gotten the sack numbers, I thought he's been very disruptive all season. Um, the, the, I could just go on and on because West Bailey also, I think, has done really good. He, he was banged up from the temple game and he didn't play his full share of snaps on Saturday. Uh, but I, I expect him to just be a total game wrecker. Um, I, yeah, I do Melton. expect there, there's going to be a game this year that our defense wins for us. Mm -hmm. um, could, so you could argue they, you could argue they won it for him against temple. I mean, if the, you know, yeah, they, what, I, what I mean is like, they no, are I, like the one score difference. Like Rutgers has just been way better than both teams they've played so far. And right. you could say the defense did win them both games because the defense has been incredible. But I just mean like there's going to be times where 
we face offenses roughly as good as our defense, and we're going to have to win that that kind of juggernaut battle. Um, but it, it hasn't happened yet. Right, and Max Melton's been awesome too. I mean, he's kind of getting back to where we thought where he was kind of last year. We were thinking he's going to be a top pro, uh, draft prospect and kind of had a down year, so he didn't end up going. But this year, he looks like he's kind of back to that. And now he's kind of, like I said, going back to that, going becoming, a, I guess, a top draft prospect again. Yeah, I, I did think Max had a bit of a, a down game, honestly, on Saturday. Um, well, the penalties didn't help. The referees him. didn't help. Yeah, there were some times where the secondary in general um, didn't seem like they were passing off guys. Um, I hope that that'll get corrected, I know. But there were a few miscues in the secondary. Uh, that was one of the only kind of negatives I had on the defense. They were just – they were awesome. Let's just give them their credit. They were very, very good. Um, and if you just look at the PFF grades, in terms of PFF grades, anything above 70 is a good game. We had – Aaron Lewis get an 82.5 grade. Wesley Bailey get a 72.7 grade. Isaiah Eiton get a 74.2. Tyreen Powell got an 84.6. Deion Jennings had the highest score of anybody on the team at 86.0. Flip Dixon had a 77.8. Desig Venusen had a 71.7. Like when half your defense is putting up grades like that, and I know a lot of of you listening out there aren't really a huge PFF fans, but when you get that many high level grades, your unit as a whole is is working pretty well. So mm. can't really say much negative about the defense. They've honestly only allowed seven points because I don't count the, you know, the Northwestern touchdown against the defense. You give – after you just, like, had them out in the field for a sustained drive, you force a punt, and then they the other team gets the ball at, like, the 20 with a minute left or two minutes left, whatever it is, you're going to score. So. And they still almost stopped. <laughs> And they still almost stuffed him, yeah. So um, I only – and I think our, uh, the R Football Twitter account uh, posted, you know, seven points allowed for the defense. So I think they're counting that as well um, <laughs> as not a score. Um, so shout out to the defense. Keep doing your thing. Uh, another thing we haven't talked about, let's talk about Jay Patel. Mm. What a revelation he has been. <laughs> Uh, even though we haven't necessarily needed the points, the fact that Greg feels confident enough sending his kicker out in the first quarter of a seven-point game to attempt a 51-yard field goal, and then there's a bad snap on that field goal, <laughs> and he still just hits it with ease. I know it kind of looked like a knuckleball, at least on on the, the live broadcast. But to hit a 51-yard field goal under those kind of conditions – not the rain, but just like a bad snap. It's it's very impressive, and he's just been very impressive in general. Uh, he also hit, uh, I think, a forty-three yarder and a chip shot field goal in the game. Obviously, he missed the one against Northwestern, but to have a kicker that you feel comfortable enough to send out to try a fifty-plus yarder is a. Uh, it's, it's it's a thing we haven't had in a while. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like in the offseason we were talking about how Jet he was a good kicker, but it once the the farther you know once you start getting into that kind of range, that's more of like a Jude range because we kind of joked last year like Jude would hit Jude would hit like a fifty yarder, but then he'd miss like a, you know like a, a twenty or like a thirty yard. It would be it was just such a yeah, weird yep. thing. So you see fifty one yards and he goes out and you're like, oh man, is he you know you you, you don't know and he. Like you said, he just nailed it. So that's definitely gonna definitely gonna help his uh, reputation. You know, 
when Rutgers is uh when Rutgers is kind of in that range that yeah he can go out there and make those make those field goals and if he can continue to do that that's just going to add another layer to this offense so Middlesex County kid love to see it oh yeah <laughs> um I also want to shout out Jude he's been so good on kickoffs we haven't had a single kickoff return this year every single one has been a touchback and that's huge because Kickoff returns are probably the most dangerous play in football. So if you can, I know Greg likes to play a lot of his starters or a lot of the guys who play a lot on defense on the kickoff recover or kickoff units. So to not have them in situations where they can get hurt is huge. Uh, I thought Flynn Appleby has been better than expected. He's had eight punts on the season. Uh, five of them have been down inside the twenty. He hasn't, yeah, he hasn't had, had the, he hasn't exactly had to do much this so far this season. <laughs> he has not. But if you yeah. can't, it, it basically, if you're not talking about the punter, he's probably doing something right. Right, exactly. For the most part. <laughs> like, there's not many times where you have an Adam Corsak who can, you know, boot it on occasion 70 plus yards. And that's not on, you know, through the air, that's through bouncing. You know, he, how many times did, did he pin it down at the one mm-hmm. in his career? I, I'd imagine it's over 10. So he was just a total unicorn, but Flynn Appleby is a useful punter in the sense that I, I was just expecting a big drop-off, and there hasn't been nearly as big of a drop-off in the punting department. Uh, I don't want to jinx it, but I think that now they've gone a couple years now without having a touchback on a punt because between Corsac and now Appleby hasn't done it Corsac had one last year. Uh, they, it was ah, like 155 right. straight or something like that, but he did have one at least. Um, hate, but hate to see yeah, it. It was, it was a long time between. Yeah. Sure. Um, and it sounds like he's having a pretty good start to his CFL career as well. Um, I saw a few graphics of uh, some of his exploits in his first season. I think he's playing for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Um, I was going to say that. I was going to joke. I was like, he's playing for the Rough Riders? <laughs> yeah, I think he actually is. <laughs> um, good for him. Happy to see that. I wish, I wish he'd get a shot in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, he did have a couple minicamp invites. He got an invite to the Chiefs. He got an invite to the Steelers. And, you know, I think he might just have to kind of keep keep his head, keep, keep just doing what he's doing, keeping his head down. And there's been plenty of guys who made transitions from the CFL to the NFL or the XFL to the NFL or the USFL to the NFL. Um, he's just got to keep it up. He's mm-hmm. having a pretty good start over there, and he had an awesome career in college. So we'll see. Um, do you have anything else, Craig? We kind of went through almost – I think we covered everything we, we wanted to hit today. Is there anything you wanted to touch on before we s- sign off here? Uh, no, I think that just about covers everything. Like you said, I think that um, there's reason for optimism. Uh, if Rutgers can beat Virginia Tech, then the way everything's playing out, I think – I do think six wins could be on the table, and if you can get if you can get that, obviously the Wagner you can get the Wagner you should win that, and if you can get the um, if you can get that Michigan State win, then possibly you're looking at maybe wrapping up all eligibility against Indiana, and if you can do that, that would be a huge, huge uh, boost for this program. But like I said, you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself. Focus on Virginia Tech this week because it's definitely a big game. Yeah, and the the, the biggest element. If they if they do wrap up, let's say hypothetically they get to six and two by the time the end of the Indiana game rolls around, the following weekend or not the following weekend we have a bye, and then we got Ohio State at home. 
<laughs> on November 4th. College game day coming? No, I'm just kidding. I'm not saying college game day, <laughs> but that that atmosphere will be electric. If we're six and four, six and two, playing Ohio State, who, like I said, has looked like they're a step down this year from where they have been the last you know five to ten years. Their offensive line has kind of struggled early in the season. I do think that Rutgers would have a shot in that game because that would that would not be a noon kickoff. That if if it is noon kickoff, it would be because, be because it's a big noon game. <laughs> so that's going to be a game that has the lights on at some point. If it's, you know, November start at three 30, it's going to get to the point where you need the lights on by six ish, or it's going to be a night game, which would be huge. So that's a game I have circled on the calendar, uh, as more winnable than I would have thought at the beginning of the season. Um, still don't think the win mind you, but I do hmm. think that will be a game we have a chance in. Whereas previously I didn't think we had any chance. Hmm. It's fun to be optimistic. It is fun to be optimistic, <laughs> and sometimes we get accused of not being optimistic enough. I just think we watch practice, and you see what's going on, and you talk to other people, and you hear what's going on. I think it was a situation where it was tough to be overly optimistic heading into the season. Now that we've seen some evidence, and we've seen our opponents not live up to expectations, too, I think there's... The scientific method of uh, being more optimistic for the season is proving out. I, I do think there's reason to be more excited than we would have collectively thought uh, for this team uh, two weeks ago, mm -hmm. as we are today. Yep. But for me and Craig, thanks to everybody who listened. Thanks to all of you who have rated and reviewed us in the past. Uh, we haven't been pushing it, but if you haven't yet and you've listened to the show, I don't know what you rate for. It really helps us find a new audience, and we've grown a huge amount in the last uh, well, we've almost done it for two years, actually. So the September twenty second, two thousand one was our two thousand twenty one was our first episode. That would have been crazy. And now, uh, yeah, that would have been crazy. <laughs> so we're, we're closing in on our two year anniversary. So thanks to everybody who has listened in the past, who's rated and reviewed us, who's subscribed on YouTube, who's got us uh, subscribed to in their favorite podcasting app. Uh, I will stop this this rant now. But thanks to everybody. Uh, this has been another edition of the podcast. So thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.